1: I'm very, very, very excited to bring this episode to you today. Very excited. And I'm sure you're excited too. Otherwise, you wouldn't have clicked that little button that said listen to this podcast. But since you did, I'm really, really happy that you did. Thank you. Thanks for checking it out. Welcome to the show. Before we jump right into it, I do want to put out there a little something about the Facebook group. We haven't talked about that in these little intro spots in a little while. There's a Facebook group attached to this podcast. And in there... We're talking about food, and guitar pedals, and basically anything else that we might talk about on this podcast. So if you want to like participate in that and hang out, I'm in there all the time. There's a bunch of people in there all the time. There's a bunch of guests, uh, former guests of the show that are in there. It's a, it's a really fun community. There's a couple thousand of us, and we're just hanging out, talking gear, and talking about what makes our taste buds tingle. It's a good time, and if you, if you just type The Tone Mob... You know, into that Zuckerberg Facebook machine. It'll pop up the page and the group, and you just join the group and answer the... There's a couple of preliminary questions, and that lets us know that you're not a robot. And then myself or one of the moderators will let you in. Shout out to Jim and Jason. Those guys. They help keep that thing on the rails. Good, good dudes. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Jason. Uh yeah, they will they will let you in or I will let you in, and then you can just hang out. It's pretty loosey goosey, it's pretty uh pretty open, pretty fun. Don't spam us or we'll throw you out. And uh yeah, that's pretty much it. So if that sounds like a good time to you, that's where you find that. Alright, we won't take up any more of your time with this nonsense. We'll get some other nonsense in your ears, and yeah, I think that's pretty much it for this week. So enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it. I'm your host Blake Weiland, and with me today I have Nick Reinhardt of Terramalos and a whole bunch of other things. How's it going, man? It's going good. Good day. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm very excited. So this is a this is kind of an interesting experience for me because this is a a sort of a back to back podcast recording and release of two of the. The probably most requested guests that I've had. I just dropped one with uh, Sarah Lipstate here the other day, and then you are definitely in that category too. Lots of people want you on for a long time. So,
0: oh, that's I'm happy to hear that. Glad well, to be
1: here. I was actually threatened uh, with abuse of some sort and, and variety if I didn't ask you that when we caught your you and uh, Juan's performance here at Old Town in Portland. That's where we met. That's yes. right. Yes.
0: Good. I came, well, I came
1: out of the dark like a creep and I was like, hey, Nick, how's, how's it going?
0: I you mean, do that's like cast? I would say 99 percent of the conversations I have with people are like that coming out of the dark like creeps. So but I'm a creep. <laughs> too, So it all works out.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, before we get too sidetracked here, I think we should just start at the beginning where I always like to start for the first time guests what's your what's your backstory? You've been in like every every band under the sun it seems like so maybe we just start from when did when did little Mr. Nick Reinhardt pick up a guitar?
0: Yeah I'll, I'll give you a really abbreviated like bullet point version that brings us up to uh, 2019. So 11 years old, Christmas time stepbrother gets a guitar. My dad plays guitar as well but my stepbrother got a guitar and I didn't get one. And I thought his was the coolest thing I could specifically remember playing on his guitar all Christmas day long. Like, no, give it back to me. No, I want to try it. Blah, blah, blah. So (laughs) he gets a guitar. Uh, I decide, okay, that's what I want. So I save up, like, I think I saved up a hundred bucks, went and put a guitar in layaway at a local guitar shop or something, uh, up in Sacramento. Get a guitar eventually. I don't know. A couple months later, I think it was a two hundred dollar Memphis Strat copy. So I think I'm probably I don't know. I'm either I'm either eleven or twelve by the time I have my own guitar. Uh, kind of fart around with that. Get a couple pedals here and there. First pedal was a Dod Classic Fuzz. Um, kind of fool around in the next year or two with like uh, a multi effect that I get a uh, Pandora a Korg Pandora multi effect and then borrow some pedals from brothers or, or a best friend's older brother. And then eventually, you know, teenager, um, have a good friend that is learning to play drums. So we're kind of like figuring out how to write punk songs together, which, but that's, that's the like OG background for me. It was like, Oh, uh, sorry. My dog just barked. She didn't like that when oh. I started talking about music. <laughs> Hey, chill. (laughs) Uh, So um, like Nirvana, Metallica, punk music, Sex Pistols and stuff. That's from like 11 to, I don't know, 15 or 16 or something. So kind of start falling into like how to be in like a punk rock band. Uh, Go through different variations of that up until probably, I think maybe 22 uh, where I'm in like Junior college, and I like, ah, oh, this is boring. I can't really focus. I don't really know what I'm doing here. Like, I'm not doing very well. My brain is constantly just thinking about like being in a band and wanting to do this. And around that same time is when me and um, the bass player of Terra Nathan, we start this band together and we get some friends in it and blah, blah, blah. And so, uh, Terra Melos is created around uh, the th- I think 22 or 23 or something. And then I decide, okay, I don't want to do college anymore. I just want to do the band thing for reels. So then that happens fast forward. Uh, let's say 10 years or so. Yeah. About 10 years or so. We kind of go through a few different changes, a few different lineups, uh, a bunch of records, blah, blah, blah. Then That band is going kind of quiet for a little bit, and I moved to Los Angeles, which is probably about five or six years ago. And in that time is when I think we had just, uh, yeah, okay, we finished this record called X'd Out, and we toured with that a whole bunch and did that whole thing, and then all of a sudden... You know, th- for that kind of music in that band, it takes a long time to write music and record it to where we're happy with it. So I knew in the meantime, OK, it's going to be a minute before we this band is doing stuff again and everyone's doing their own thing. So I would like to work on establishing myself, uh, having an identity outside of Terramellos and, you know, what I've done for the last, you know, 10 years. So. That kind of brings us up to what you said, played in a zillion bands, all this gear stuff, pedals, one pedals and effects, all that. And, you know, I, I kind of accomplished exactly. I'm just so I'm always so stoked to think back on this because it was like, oh, yeah, I need to do this in order to. Not have to get a real job, which you know, I basically wake up every morning thinking, do I need to go apply at Target or something? But in order, (laughs) in order to not do that, I had to do all these other little things and get things going to where I could just make this, you know, whatever, a career or make the tiniest living off of it. So that brings us to now and talking to you on the Tone Mob podcast.
1: That was a that was a pretty in-depth six minutes honestly you did i feel like you hit some you hit some good bullet points there that deserve a little bit of digging though
0: i feel like i feel like that timeline is pretty accurate too which is cool but please dig away yes clarify and go deep for you
1: so let's get let's get just, just right into the taramello stuff and acknowledge the fact that you jumped from talking about playing punk rock and nirvana and things Fast forward uh, a million miles an hour, and then you're talking about Teramello stuff. And for those who don't know, it's not exactly Nirvana. <laughs> it's very right. com- complicated, interesting time signatures, lots of dynamics, lots of changes. Uh, it's it's uh, it's complicated music that sounds simple sometimes. Is the way I phrase it to some people. It's always sure. very complicated, though. So how did you how do you make that leap?
0: So. Um, punk bands fast. And I'm talking like, uh, I'm of the epitaph fat records era, California, you know, skate punk stuff. So like really fast drums and very melodic. Right. So that's kind of like, um, where my head is at and uh, like all the Nirvana and Metallica and all that stuff is like also exists in there. But you know, like when you're a little older and I grew up in the suburbs, full on suburb, person kid so like that was just the music and i skateboarded and that's what i like to listen to when i skated you know so that's that's kind of what i grew up on and then uh i believe it was my senior year yes because this would have been actually maybe it was summer of 2000 maybe the summer before my senior year uh i go up to see a show in this little town called Placerville um, at a coffee shop, because there was this band playing that was supposed to have this insane drummer. Uh, Oh, and also actually, you know what? I missed the bullet point and this is going to relate to this. Um, Somewhere in ninth grade, when I'm all Mr. Punk rock with, you know, whatever blue hair and, you know, just punked out of my brain, my friend shows me, Uh, some electronic music. He shows me Aphex Twin, Square Pusher, and this band Underworld. And I was really, really excited about that. And it's so funny to think back to like this punk kid being really like getting into electronic music at that time. So it was this weird kind of like uh, duality that I had going on in my head, right? So anyway, so I'm also into electronic music. So fast forward uh, a few years from that. And we're at this coffee shop going to a show because there's this band playing and there's this drummer in this band, this band's called Crime and Choir. And everyone tells me that this drummer can play like electronic music, which if you're not familiar, it's like really fast breakbeaty drums, you know, like lots of like double bass sounds and all these like just fast sounding, like non-human sounding drums that a, a human cannot physically play, right? Totally. So, so my buddy's like, "Oh yeah, there's this drummer who's playing in this band called Crime and Choir who can play like, and they're they're an instrumental band, I believe. The layout was like keys and guitar and bass and drums, but it's supposed to be like a a live electronic kind of sounding thing. And I very specifically remember on the drive up, the very windy kind of like uh, car sicky drive up to this place." I was very eye-rolly about it, like, okay, right. So there's a drummer. You're telling me there's a drummer that can play like this. Okay, we'll see about that. So we get there, and turns out that band, Crime and Choir, had canceled, and they weren't playing the show. And we were like, oh, man, dang, we drove all the way up here an hour away or whatever to see this drummer play. Well, turned out, instead of that band, the drummer's new band was playing, and that band was Hella. And at that that era in around 2000, Hello was a two piece band. This drummer that I keep talking about is this guy named Zach Hill. So Hello was guitar and drums, uh, and it was just an instrumental, completely mind blowing thing. The drummer absolutely played exactly. He blew our minds. He was playing like was completely impossible to us. We had no idea that like a human could play drums like that, you know. And we're just kids. We're like whatever, sixteen or seventeen or something. So hella plays that show and just all of a sudden my brain expands you know what i mean like at that point i like i was into fugazi that was probably the first band that kind of starts to turn in terms of from punk rock to something else Mm -hmm. but then it was hella that all of a sudden because hella had the energy and the spirit of a punk band i mean especially zach the way he played drums was like whoa this dude's Playing fast, like all this fast music, I like right the really fast punk stuff, the you know that beat or, or that energy of that beat, mm-hmm. and then also the energy of all the electronic stuff that is really really fast drums and crazy stuff happening. So this band was all of that embodied into a new sound, um, and so that was a really big deal for me. And then shortly thereafter, uh, I get I had a, a compilation. A take action an action now compilation or a take plea for peace the plea for peace comp i think maybe the first one which is either 2000 or 2001 um and it had it was i believe it was put out through asian man records maybe which was like a punk a bay area punk label ska core and like just you know fast punk stuff which i was into and on I very that much comp, remember that label <laughs> okay right yes. okay well and and on that comp was a live recording of this band called the Dillinger Escape Plan. Oh. And it was this raw. So it's just there's this record, there's this plea for peace take action comp, which is a bunch of punk songs. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of it is this raw, insanely raw live recording of this band, the Dillinger Escape Plan, playing a song called The Mullet Burden. And it's like a minute and a half long or something like that. But that was w- like the third thing or third or fourth or fifth, whatever. One of the other early things that blew my mind, like, what is this? I don't even understand what this is. It's like, you know, it's metal, but it's so weird and techie. And it kind of reminds me of Hella and electronic music and the intensity of punk music that I was also into, you know, and then also, at that time, you know, 2001, it's like, whatever, we all have internet at that point, but it's spotty and it's not like real internet, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's not like, I I don't, I remember not knowing what the Dillinger escape plan looked like. Um, and then I finally was able to come across a photo of that band. And this is a little bit of a tangent, but like, I, w- I wasn't a big metal guy, you know, I, I guess I'm still not super into metal, I guess. Um, but anyways, this band um Dillinger I finally see this picture of him and I'm like whoa they don't look like metal dudes they kind of look like I don't know I mean I guess I was more of like a skater guy or whatever or maybe coming out of that phase but they had a really interesting aesthetic to that band that did not like square up with the way they sounded do you know what I mean so that was another really interesting thing for me just as a little side note but that is all what happens to my brain that makes us go, all right, our, our punk stuff is fun to play, but wow, we're a little older now. And like, we kind of want to go in this direction. So I, I personally took all those different sounds and all those crazy things that I was hearing over the course of a few years. And we put that into this new thing called Terra That
1: all makes a whole lot more sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all those, all those influences together. And the, the Dillinger one is is probably the most obvious, I'm guessing, to to most people. Is that something you hear a lot?
0: Yeah. Well, it's funny in terms of what I hear a lot. I mean, this doesn't happen so much anymore, but for like the, the first decade of that band existing, people would be we'd well, get compared to this or get compared to that. And like, you know, it'd be like, oh, this band's really, really into Don Don Cab. And I'd be like, Well, I've never heard Don Cab before. Uh, but that's cool. But these are the bands that I was into. It's Dillinger and Hella. Those are the two bands. Like I'm trying to like very explicitly let people know, no, no, we're ripping off these bands, not doing it so well, but these are the bands we were attempting to rip off. So, I, I do hear Dillinger a lot, but it was just funny because for so long we'd get all these other references like, oh, that band must be, has to be super into this or like they're just ripping this off or ripping this off. And it was like, no, no, I'm trying to let you know, I'm being honest with what we were trying to rip off and it's none of those things. But yes, Dillinger definitely, I'm sure like we got that for a long time and, and continue to get it. And like, I'm still proud to get that comparison because it's like, well, yeah, obviously that, that band like really opened things up for us. And also uh maybe re- relevant to this conversation, Mars Volta was a big deal too. That those first couple Mars Volta records were, you know, definitely influential on maybe not uh not necessarily sonically or just the fact that like this weird band, this crazy weird thing became a big a big band all of a sudden. And that I remember, you know, as we were in the very infant stages of Mellis, we were like, "Whoa!" All these like, you know, Mars Volta, that's a big band, you know, like they're big now. And like that, oh, they opened a lot of doors for like the younger, you know, the younger dudes to come through and be like, yeah, we we can do this, too. You know, And there's there's hope for us. So but yeah, anyways, I love getting all those comparisons because those are absolutely accurate.
1: <laughs> well, let's segue right into the possible Mars Volta connection. How did you get hooked up with Juan, and how did you start doing the pedals and effects thing?
0: So, um, our the Taramoos record label, Sergeant House, started working with. Um, I, I, It's a little fuzzy to me. I don't even fully understand, but somehow gets connected to Mars Volta. This is around two thousand eight, I think. Um, and I meet Juan over at the the record label and he's nice and cool and like i guess he was doing maybe his band Big Sur uh with maybe with the label at that time and so anyways i just i meet him around and he's nice and like we i wouldn't say we hit it off but we're friendly with one another and then i remember i went and saw Mars Volta at one point with a friend a couple friends actually some of the hella guys <laughs> And uh, we saw them when they were on tour with Soundgarden. And I knew Juan a little bit more at that point. It was like, oh, cool, man. Good to see you, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, we don't really go anywhere from there. And then at some point, Juan starts his YouTube channel. And I was down visiting, I think I was still living in Sacramento. And I was, maybe I had just played a show down here or I had all my gear in LA for some reason. And one had heard about that, or we were in contact, and he was like, "Hey, you should come through the studio, and we'll do like a little pedal board walkthrough kind of thing." So I'm like, "All right, cool, I'll do that, sure." Although, actually, that's not true. I remember being a little hesitant to be like, "Oh man, am I really gonna like go on a a video thing and like show every single one of my pedals and how I use every single one?" And i I remember making a conscious de- decision, being like, "Okay, well." If I do that, you know, not to be all, I'm not trying to be secretive or whatever, but it's, it's just crazy when it's just full disclosure. Here's how I do everything. Here's how I make every sound with all these pedals, which at the time it was like all the pedals I had, you know? So anyways. And by the way, I'm very, obviously, very, very glad I made that decision. But, you know, it's not like Agata from Melt Banana had one of those, you know, at the time where it's like, oh, you can just go see how Agata makes all of his things. In 2019, it's a lot more common for bands to have rig rundowns and all that. And your favorite guitar player, you can look up his rig. But back, you know, even whatever, six years ago or whenever we did that, I feel like it was a little less common. So.
1: So anyways, it it was, um, sorry, I I didn't mean to jump in there. It was way less, way less common. I mean, it used to be like some guys would not show, would purposely like hide their stuff. Like it, it, that's, that's more weird now. Now more people are open about it, but there for a long time, there were certain bands. They would be at a certain level. And I think Josh Homme, like famously won't, won't tell people what his rigs are. I think he still might do that. I don't know. Right
0: right and like maybe i just had a little bit of that and you know maybe that's like a little bit of ego and just also just not wanting to like reveal all the magic tricks you know mm-hmm. what i mean which at that point maybe i i in my head i had kind of like a cool thing going but again i'm i'm happy that i did do that so so i i go over to a studio and i remember it was so hot if you watch that video i'm like dripping in sweat the whole time where he's in uh Los Angeles, our studios over here. And it's just like burning hot in there cause you can't run the AC when we're doing videos. So, <laughs> um, yep. so we, we do this video. Uh, it was really fun. He and I hit it off and, and he was like, honestly, actually that's one of the coolest things that I got out of that video was like that really solidified my friendship with Juan. Cause he was like, Whoa, this dude's doing different things. I remember like being like, wait, you don't, he'd be like, wait, how do you do that with the DL four? or what's this or what's that? And I was like, dude, you're in the Mars Volta. You don't know that trick or whatever, you know what I mean? So right. we, we like, we just bonded really quickly over that. And then maybe in the next year is when I moved down to Southern California and, you know, kind of just ran into one a little more often or something. And then I think maybe I, I, he asked me one time like hey i need someone to come do guitar with me for this pedal thing do you want to do another uh little episode of my uh youtube thing and i'm like yeah okay sure so i just kind of casually started coming over to the studio and he would be like oh we should do a video today all right cool what do you want to do let's do this all right cool i'll i'll make sounds with that sure so that's kind of the evolution of that and that was i think maybe about i don't know that was probably 4 or 5 years ago at, at this point i think that we started doing those so yeah.
1: That's about the time I became aware of it. So that, that makes sense. How did the the whole pedal board shop tour thing start though?
0: Uh you, like the one that you came to, the uh, yeah that that's what you're for okay. We call those the master class, quote unquote. Oh, that's
1: right. I forgot about the um, it the master class.
0: <laughs> so okay. This is I, I will Pull back the curtain on a, a Nick and Juan conversation we have a lot, which is, you know, we're like working musicians. We all we play in bands and we do this stuff a lot. We tour a lot. There's not a whole lot of time that Juan and I are home at the same times because both of us just have some like so much touring and that sort of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So we don't have all of the resources and time and availability as most, you know, quote unquote, YouTube gear channels or whatever. So we don't, we don't really like have all the heat. We don't have the view counts, blah, blah, blah. And look, this is not something he and I are like trying to do with our lives. We just think it's a fun thing to do, but we, we are like, ah man, this is crazy. Like we kind of like, we're, we're unable to do a lot of the things that most of these like very popular channels can do or whatever. So we're like, well, what, what do we have? That's not that, what, what, what sort of resources and availability do we have? Well, what we could do is like, we could go perform and do basically do live versions of our pedal thing, you know, our pedal episodes or whatever in music stores or whatever. So that truly uh, and just in case no one people are like what are these guys even talking about right now uh, I don't I don't even remember when that was a few months ago Juan and I came up with this plan well why don't we book these in-store events they'll be free so people can just come and hang out and we're gonna live you know kind of talk about uh, all this stuff we're using we're gonna perform with them we'll take questions and blah 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 and we'll try and get these like Uh, essentially sponsored by pedal companies, our favorite pedal companies, by the way, not just like, you know, basically what we did was we reached out, like, "What what are our favorite pedals to use? Okay, you know, this seven companies or whatever, let's hit them up, which by the way, they're all, we try and maintain friendships with all these people. They're not like, faceless corporations or whatever. So we hit up these companies and we were just like, Hey, we have this idea. We're not really sure about it, but like, we just want to go and do these kind of masterclass type things where people can talk to us and just see in real life how we approach this, you know, unedited sort of thing. So that's how we did it. And they were super fun and super successful. Uh, Everyone seemed to have a good time. And I, I think we're going to try and do more of those.
1: Sweet, sweet. That's a, it was a good time. And it was, it, I, I wasn't sure if this looked like this in every city, but I I remember having a conversation with some of my buddies who went and were like, man, we are the biggest nerds ever that we came out on like a Wednesday night to, to watch people talk about pedals and make weird loops. <laughs> like, yeah. we're the biggest nerds of all time. We have to be. But there was like 70 other people there, so it didn't feel quite so nerdy, I guess. Yeah,
0: no, I mean, I think, I don't remember how many, we we did either three or four or something, and they were all like, super packed which we were nervous for like is anyone going to come to these does anyone want to see us do this hopefully you know mm-hmm. uh, but yeah they were all packed and like people had fun and you know like if you've seen any of the pedals and effects stuff you know what the vibe is between Juan and myself and it's generally like a fun you know like it's a good time so we just wanted to bring that into a room with a bunch of people surrounding us and you know like it'd be the kind of thing where we would improvise and play like i don't know seven minutes of music or something and at the end of it i'd go hey that was pretty cool do you guys remember five and a half minutes ago when i made this sound that was pretty exciting i didn't know that would happen or whatever you know so it was almost like a real a real-time analysis of improvising with sounds and then discussing that and you know figuring out how we got there and what we liked about it what we didn't like and yeah it was it was very successful we had a good time doing it
1: yeah well thank you for doing it it was a it was a lot of fun it was a good evening and i know i'm not the only one who feels that way
0: good thank you for coming
1: (laughs) if you come back to portland i'll be there again (laughs) you got it so What I got to talk to you about one specific piece of gear that I feel like maybe might be one of the things you're best known for, and that would be the DL4. Sure. What is it about the DL4 after all this time that it kept? You know, it's got you. There's loopers that have came and went, but the DL4 is just still around. What What do you like about it so much?
0: Yeah, it's interesting because you know. I see it on forums or whatever, or get asked about it, like, Hey, what, what looper is best to start with? And because of, you know, some of the technical difficulties that are just come with having a DL4, it was not designed necessarily to like, you know, for it to do the things that I like to do with it, that people like to do with it. And maybe that causes it to not function as well as it should. But, you know if if one were starting fresh i don't know that that's a pedal that i would necessarily recommend rather i would recommend oh well you should try all these and just see what best suits you for me personally i've tried other loopers and i always come back to that one because it's just it's what i learned on and it's what i can get m- my most preferred results out of even if that means A rocky road of, you know, (laughs) going through a lot of them, having them modified, fixing them, you know, like finding broken ones off Craigslist, fixing them, all that stuff, you know, Um, the functionality of it is just there's no one that has really topped that. I mean, I don't use my DL4. it's funny because I say I do or I guess I said I have in the past. I don't use it for the delay setting you know, I have, I have a couple of mine modded with a button to where I could get to the delay settings and just one click without having to, you know, bend over and switch it to delay mode. But I really only use that thing for the looper. And it's just like, it's just kind of like a, an extended, you know, part of the, well, it's a, it's an instrument for me, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. to just, to just switch to another instrument of that type is not, that easy and i've tried you know but and i just i like it i just i like the way it works i like the functions it's again it's it's perfect for what i i want to accomplish well it's almost perfect save for you know the some of the the pieces that are inside it or whatever that cause it to act like a little jerk sometimes but (laughs) i guess you know aside from that the only thing i think they could expand upon would be really um recording time which in the uh with the HX series you know the HX effects stuff that they have and or the HX stomp and the HX thing uh, that I mean that does have a whole lot more uh, recording time on it but if I could design an ideal pedal it would just be you know the looper functions of the DL4 with a longer recording time
1: well hey there's lots of people listen to this show that might be able to make that happen we who knows so yeah i mean just, hey i know just throw i know it out people there.
0: Yeah. And I'm friends with the the dudes at line six, which was a a, quite the journey to, to get there. But I did actually, I've been to the line six building a bunch of times. It's, uh, they're all really cool people, really interesting, like programmers working there and stuff. And, and they're great over there. So I'm sure they're working on stuff, you know, as we speak to, uh, to expand upon what we all, all the things we like about that pedal, you know?
1: Well, yeah, it's had such staying power and like the, the flaw, the, the qualities and the flaws are well documented at this point. I think they should have a pretty clear path forward.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know, the, the different, the thing that's different about them. And I, I just, I know this since now I'm like kind of really deep into this whole pedal gear world is like line six is like, is I mean, they are not a faceless corporation because I know all the faces there, but they are like a big corporate thing that I, I believe they're owned by Yamaha. So mm-hmm. it's not like it's this little boutique. It's not Earthquaker or Red Panda where it's like they're one, you know, one text away from, you know, Hey, I think you guys should design this. Like, what about this? And then, you know, Kurt from Red Panda writes back like, Hey, that's a great idea. Let's, let's get an email going about that or something. You know what I mean? Like, like, line six is a little more tricky in terms of, you know, communi- communicating about that sort of thing. So, yeah, I do hope, though, that they they expand on that. I think that would be a really cool thing just because, like I said, it's my favorite loop pedal. I mean, it's just it's a part of, you know, an extension of my left foot at this point. You know what I mean?
1: <laughs> well, that is actually a really nice segue into some of the questions that I have from the Facebook group, actually. Ah, so okay. We had some uh, we had some industry folks chime in on this one with some pretty good stuff. Uh one of them being uh, Joe Branton from the Guitar Nerds podcast and the band uh oh my gosh polymath. my brain's polymath. I was going to say ma nope, that isn't right. Polymath. So you know Joe. Wonderful yeah, dude. Do. Hi Joe. Uh, he says, seeing as he's such a fan of the digital effects on the Fender Mustang GT, would he ever consider switching out his entire board for something like the Line 6 Helix?
0: Um, so I do love the Fender Mustang amp, and I love that I have a Helix and I love the Helix. I just um, I don't think I would do that because I just love part, you know, one of the reasons that I like had a big pedal board and that I just have always gravitated towards that is like, I just love the visual. I love looking down and seeing all these like colors and it's just really cool. You know, when, um, okay. Like I did not not necessarily when I was a kid, but like when like a rich, maybe like a rich kid has like a space shuttle bed and that like, there's like all the like electronics on it and all the buttons and stuff. Like maybe I've seen that in a movie or something like that, but like, that's all I've always gravitated towards stuff like that. Like cool buttons and lights and, uh, controls and all that. And I just like, maybe, maybe that's kind of like one of the things that I think is really cool about having a big pedal board is just like all the things down there, all these little computery boxes that are flashing and doing all this cool stuff. And so, and that just like, I have joy looking down at that and that's why I was like painting my pedals and making, you know, stuff colorful and there's tape over everything. And it's just, it's like a very fun, it brings me joy having all this stuff at my feet that I don't think I could get from just, a very digital uh, format of all that stuff, you know? So like functionality wise, all of that stuff, the GT stuff, all the Helix, that's way more reliable and so much easier than, you know, having a zillion patch cables and, Oh no, I want to move this pedal you know, seven pedals down. Great. That's going to, and now I have to like, my whole day's gone because I need to move one pedal over, you know what I mean? Like there go the next four hours or something. So, and obviously unlike a line six helix, that takes 10 seconds to do, you know? So functionality wise, I love all that stuff. I use it. I've used both of those for recording. Um, I was just on this, this is a little side note, but, um, I was just on this, I was in a house band for a TV show on Fox. And uh, that's a long story. But, anyways, like one of the strangest, coolest things I've ever done. And when we were the first day that we were setting up for this thing, I had uh, my Supro, my little Super Supro Jupiter 112 60 watt thing, uh, great amp. And I was like, well, oh, yeah, okay, I need like a little combo. That's the little combo I have. I'll, I'll bring that and that'll be my amp for the show. And all the sound dudes are like, man, this is like too loud. It's bleeding into everything and it's going into the host's mic and all this stuff. And I'm like, well, it's, it's on, it's 35, you know, set to 35 watts. It's quiet. I don't know what to do. And they were just like, you know, dude, we can't have this. It's too loud. So I was like, well, you know, I, uh, I have this fender Mustang amp. In fact I had brought it because I was going to have it just in like the backstage green room, just to practice on or whatever. And I was like, I mean, I have this thing. We could just try this. I don't know if it's going to work. And what do you know? I bring that thing out. There's a direct out on it, an XLR. So they take the line straight from it. I don't need to have a super loud you know, volume coming out of the amp. And it was perfect. So in that instance, I was like, oh my God, this amp is so cool for this exact reason. Like, Or recording at home. like You can plug right, right into the Line 6 Helix or right into the, the Mustang GT and you have perfect sound a perfectly mic'd amp you know so for for all those reasons i love the digital format i love being able to like like just blast out a pedal board on the helix really really quickly and make all these adjustments like in seconds i think that's all really cool but for a live format at least with the way that i play it just i don't really see myself making that transition because like i said i just love having the boxes in front of me because it's it's really fun for me
1: yeah, I think we're kind of cut from a similar cloth in that way. I I think that those all those things and on the internet I'm obviously a lot meaner and jokier about it than I am in real life, but like the helix and all that stuff is incredible. It, it it's like an amazing piece of engineering, but I can I can't get excited about it. I don't know if that's that's a normal way to be or not, but like I'm not I don't look at it and lust over it. Some people do. Lots of people do. But it's not that yeah. it doesn't get my I mean, gear get it. nerd self excited basically i don't know why it's
0: just context i think like i said because i i would not really want to do have a helix in front of me at a show you know not to mention i just grew up with pedals with boxes you know so and maybe this kind of goes back to the looper thing if someone was asking me hey where should i start with pedals well i mean You know, like I said, I I had a Pandora, a Korg Pandora multi effect when I was 12, and which really isn't that much different from having, whoa. Crazy. Sorry. Uh it's really not that much different from having, you know, like a a Helix or an HX stomp or whatever it is, starting off with one of those. So maybe if you were to start with one of those, you could like wrap your head around it a little more easy. But for me, like I said, it's just, you know, I like having this stuff. It's it's fun. It's a lot more interesting for me having all the boxes than just a, a big, you know, digital computer on the floor.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I totally get that. Let's see. We got another one here from uh, another. This is a great. This is a great question. I'm not purposely selecting only industry people, but they're coming up with the with good questions here. We got uh, Ryan Rytyski from Fuzz Rocious. Okay. He Hi, says, Ryan. "As a musician who plays in numerous projects/slash bands, how do you keep the song straight? What is the balance between improv/slash memorizing memorizing the exact song and part structure?"
0: Uh, well, if we're if we're talking Tara Mello stuff, I mean, we've just been doing that band for so long now that that's like, uh, instinctual to write that way and perform that way. Like just how, what, however that band is, it's just, it's in our bloodstream to do it that way now. And a lot of that on, on my end is, you know, I, I give myself, I can write a song that has structure and has like an A, B and C and, d and however many parts in it and you know like whatever you practice you know you know your music really well uh and then i i guess with the pedal thing i just i like to have room in between those parts to improvise and do fun stuff with all that you know so if i have i don't know if there's a th- a, a section that's three chords you know, where I'm I'm kind of on like autopilot playing these three chords because I've played them a zillion times at practice. And, you know, we've toured this song a million times. I can do fun stuff with it that makes it interesting for me and, you know, freak it out or do all this neat stuff. So I, with that band in particular, it was, we always, or at least, I wrote my parts that way intentionally so I could improvise within them. And a lot of that, comes from to go back to this like electronic music live mixing you know like whatever like square square pusher or apex or any of these dudes when they're playing live they're they're live mixing right like no one well not no one, but the people that I'm interested in no one's really just hitting a space bar and rocking out to it they're doing they're tweaking in real time you know so that's kind of what i um the way that I really like to play guitar with these structured songs. Zach Hill is another example of someone that does that. And he's been doing that all the way back, like I said, to the first time I ever saw him play at that coffee shop where, whoa, there's a song happening here and this guy's like kind of playing on beat. And obviously he has an idea here that he's playing, but he's just like thrashing around it and doing all this crazy stuff. Like he, he clearly has this song memorized and he knows what he's doing, but I can't even tell What he's doing, or you know, if if, is this improvised or did he write this part? You know, so yeah, I think it just comes from like all of that, those genres of music, and you know, just really, really being excited by. Like, it's funny because I get asked that a lot. A lot of shows. That Taramellos plays, or I do like a lot of improvised live things. And I get asked this question all the time like, oh, so how much of that, what percentage of that was improvised? And I'm, I always have kind of the same canned answer. Well, it's like, well, probably this much. There's songs, but you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But it's so funny because then I'll see bands play. I can't even, I don't have an example off the top of my head, but like, I'm all excited when I see a band and I have that very question. Like, wait a second. Were you improvising there, or what was going on there? So it's almost like I get that same magical feeling. I I get excited when I get that same magical feeling watching a band play, where I, I can't even tell what's happening. Like in terms of, is that was that written, or were you just like winging it on that? You know what I mean?
1: I think that's some of the most beautiful parts about, or one of the most beautiful parts about watching live music is that it's not exactly the same as the records most of the time, and the shows are, can be a little different from time to time and you know, anything could happen. I think that's part of, you know, not to be kind of nostalgic and weird about it, but that's part of like what rock and roll is all about. Right. It's just a little bit of, you don't know what's going to happen. And so sure. I like seeing people improvise and explore the space rather than just kind of get locked in. You know, sure. Sure.
0: Sense. I was, um, so I just got back from uh, touring some Midwest touring and, and it's the first time I was doing like a solo improvised performance like on the road. I mean, I've done it probably, I don't know, five or six times in California. But my my friends, uh, this band Pinback asked me, hey, can you come on tour with us? And I was like, yeah, of course. And they didn't even care what they They're like, well, do you have a band that you can do? Like Tara Mellis was unavailable and whatever. I'm like, well, I can just I can come do this solo thing. And they were like, of course, come do it. So I kind of put together this thing where the, the entire performance, it was like a 35 minute performance that was improvised, but I, I improvised within blocks. So I, I actually had like a set list, a quote unquote set list of, you know, nine ideas that I wanted to hit. And within each one of those ideas, I would improvise within them. So for instance, you know, there was one section that was, Whammy pedal set to a fifth harmony, and I played these three chords. So, and then I think I then I played a couple, or I played a a sample would go over that, like off of a, a Roland SP 404. So that was this general idea. I never knew how long it would go for or what what I would end up looping or what sounds would accompany that. But I knew at this point in the set, I want to hit this thing. And then, you know, so basically there was nine different versions of that. You know what I mean? And so it's just, that's that's the most fun version of improvising for me in a live context because, you know, improvising is a beautiful thing and you can come across like some really magical moments when it's purely improvised, you know, art music but at the same time you know you run the risk of um i don't want to say boring but you run the risk of all the non magical moments do you know what I mean? So, my oh, yes. thing was like, I would love to have more magic in this set than non magic. So, the best way to go about this is to structure this in a way where, yes, by its nature, I am improvising all these, but I have ideas. Like, it's like an episode of Kirby Enthusiasm. I don't know if you watched that show or are familiar mm-hmm. with it. But- oh, yeah. Okay. So they have, you know, Larry has rough outlines for the episodes and rough outlines for each scene. And then the actors improvise within that, you know, he'll go, I want to hit, you know, this, this, and this. And by the end of it, you know, this person needs to get hit by a car or something. So how are we going to get to that or whatever it is, you know, that's kind of my favorite version of improvising music.
1: And it's kind of a, another example of, you know, putting limits on yourself to help push creative you know creativity forward because you know like you see artists like oh i'm gonna work in charcoal i'm gonna work in this they've already put limitations on themselves like i'm only gonna use this so like for musicians it's like i'm gonna work with these three chords and make a loop or i'm gonna work in this key but i'm gonna improvise the rest i mean that makes complete sense from a human perspective to me
0: right right well and also just to piggyback off that point you know just saying I'm I'm gonna use charcoal for this piece and then I'm good. Well, so now we're talking about the tools that you're using, right? And that's another reason why I like having a big, very non-practical pedal board, because I like having all these different tools to, you know, whatever, sonically paint with it because it keeps it interesting, you know, and like there's there's so many things that can happen. And granted, yeah, like I, I could I would feel confident playing you know doing a solo improvised performance with three or four pedals or whatever but in when i'm doing it in my ideal scenario i have lots of different like colors and paint brushes and you know rocks or whatever you know what i mean like in, just lots of different things to create whatever it is that i'm i'm trying to create at that
1: moment yeah yeah that's that's very much my wheelhouse as well but I don't know if that I'm uh, saying that to cover up my hoarding hoarding or if I'm <laughs> actually meaning that. But uh, either way, I'm going to stick with it and see how it see how it shakes out.
0: Sure. Sure. Uh,
1: let's see. Um, we've got a, f- a little bit more time here. Yeah, we can get on some more of these questions. I'll do rapid uh, fire.
0: I'll, I'll go a little quicker.
1: OK, here we go. This one. We, we'll, we'll do two more. We'll do. We'll do two more because okay. we've already touched on s- a lot of these throughout uh, just the course of the conversation. So, Tori Oshner wants you to elaborate a little bit on the album of ringtones that you just made.
0: Uh, Sorry, you, right when you said the album, you made this sound that sounded almost exactly like one of, like my boss DD3, when the feedback is set really high and the delay time is set really low. It's just like a a buzz sound. It was like, yeah. So no, right when weird. you said that, yeah, you made like this DD three sound your connection. Right when you asked me that, so ask me that one more time. Just turn the DD turn the DD three off.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, you know what? Let me turn off the DD three <laughs> real quick. I I I forgot I left that in the chain. Silly me. Um. So no, I was gonna. Yeah, I'll just I'll just take that one again. Okay. Make that a nice smooth cut there. So okay. Tori Oshner wants me to ask you about the album of ringtones you made recently.
0: Ah. Okay. The ringtone thing. Yes. Um, I, I went to, I was like, I'm one of these, I guess, weird people that still use ringtones on their phone. Like it seems, I, I feel like I, I saw a lot of people or I feel like it's a thing now where people don't have their phones are always on silent, but I like a ringtone. Sorry. So (laughs) I was kind of bored with my ringtone. So I go, how do I, how do I like make a ringtone or let me make, I want to make a song as my ringtone or something, or I want a little clip of a song, something like that, which made me go, huh, I guess I could like make my own ringtones if I wanted. So I just spent probably, I don't know, a month of just pulling pedals off of a shelf and recording them, uh, through my Mustang GT, by the way, that whole thing is done through the Mustang, uh, and then into my computer, just making what I thought would be cool sounds to load onto my phone for ringtones. And I thought, well, maybe people would be interested in this. I kind of like mentioned it here, there on the internet and people were, yeah, we do that. We, we want that. And you know, I I think maybe there's, there's probably a hundred people that downloaded it or something. Uh, but yeah, so it's just a bunch of sound effects that I made, all intentionally as ringtones. And by the way, this is not just me. Oh, plug in a pedal, make a sound, hit record, and then move away from it. A lot of the, the things that I do that I've uploaded to my Bandcamp or whatever. Like I know it's like it's not like it's a, a pure noise thing. You know what I mean? Like I I try and do all of that stuff with intention that's always important to me like well i want it to have i want there to be an intention behind this even if it's a literally a three second file even if it's a one second file i want to like i i put thought into whatever that one second is you know so yeah so it's i think it's 150 different tones for a cellular device or any device really or you can you, know, you just hit play and listen to it if you want <laughs> But um, yeah. So that's the deal with that. I just thought it'd be a fun thing to do.
1: Cool, cool. I didn't, I didn't even know about that. I thought maybe he was like pulling my leg, and I was going to ask you a really stupid question. But you uh, <laughs> nope, really did make an good. album of ringtones, so that's, that's awesome. Real. Yep. Well, we already touched on on some of the stuff earlier, but one question we didn't get to from uh, our, our mutual uh, pal, Mr. Leon Wright from Pelican Noise Works. He wants me to ask you, which which Mortal Kombat drop do you find brings maximum impact?
0: Which Mortal Kombat drop?
1: Yes, he watched your rig run down and was talking about the Mortal Kombat sounds you had sampled.
0: Yeah, yeah. Toasty!
1: Um, yeah, it's gotta be to-
0: <laughs> Oh my god, this is so funny. So I remember when I was... Uh, so when I sampled that sound into my SP-404, my dog was freaking out over it. She did not like Toasty. <laughs> and in fact, there's a there's a video on my Instagram. I, I was able to film her reacting to it because she got really mad. And when I, I swear to God, when I just did it, she popped her head up and barked. She really does not like Toasty. Toasty! <laughs> she just did it again. Oh my God. She does not like <laughs> She's all that's like a so right funny. now. Her ears yeah. are back and she's really mad. She does not like toasty. Um, wow. <laughs> that's, that's that's hilarious. Amazing. It triggers <laughs> my
1: dog. Uh, the things that happen on this podcast <laughs> never ceases uh, to amaze me.
0: Uh you know, I haven't played I, I I played Mortal Kombat when I was a kid. I was a big uh MK2 and MK3 fan, I think on Super Nintendo, but uh I don't remember what the best drop for maximum uh carnage was probably just like uh tearing someone's head off or something like that
1: yeah yeah that, I, I think we got to go with with just we, toasty seems to be the answer there I think yeah I it's mean well be. yeah
0: it's when you when the guy uh I forget his name D Boone or whoever it is that's not d Boone that's Mike Watts that's I was his. like
1: wait a minute something's going on right now
0: is not <laughs> the guy's is? name Boone though? in mortal Kombat, wasn't it i don't
1: think so i don't know that doesn't ring a bell well
0: someone someone will leave a comment and and we'll find out i'm pretty sure one of the guys was Boone. um but anyways uh yeah because when you know when he would pop out you would hit select and start or start or whatever and then i don't even remember what would happen something cool would happen so let's just go with i don't know what the most maximum carnage is but you know toasty whatever. Toasty was what's up. I like toasty. All right. My, let's just do do- toasty. Actually, it is toasty because that the maximum carnage right now is when I say that my dog pops her head up and freaks out. So this is go.
1: true. This is true. This is true. <laughs> All right. We're we'll get into the final questions of the podcast here and we'll uh, we'll let you get on with the rest of your day. All right. But so here's here's one that's kind of more recent, but I, I found it, it can be a pretty interesting question. What is your favorite boss pedal?
0: Um, I won't go with the cop out tu2 tuner even though like that probably like that probably is my favorite boss pedal. It has a lot of functionality for me. not to mention I just prefer that that pedal to other tuners. <laughs> um the I guess I will go with the um the super shifter. I'll go with the super shifter.
1: Oh, okay. I,
0: I, uh, I don't know which one it is. PS something super. P.S. Three PS three super shifter. Um, yeah, that one's pretty cool. I use the, the kind of bendy setting, whichever one that is, uh, that kind of like I, that was the first pedal. I mean, it's one of the few pedals that does, you know, bends that I, I, I like to be able to do like a lot of bending and give my chords or leads movement or something. So, um, yeah, I'm really into that. And then, you know, eventually Digitech came out with the, um, the, uh, ricochet, which did a really similar thing, maybe even a little bit better than the, the super shifter, but I broke both my ricochets. So now I'm back to the super shifter, but I, I love that pedal. Um, me and Nathan, the bass player from Terramellos we use the heck out of those things and you could do like a lot of neat things with them honestly i don't really use it for anything other than that bendy setting whichever that one is like the maybe it's the the t-arm or something tremolo arm or something like that but yeah that's a that's a really good pedal um i i don't think i play many shows without that pedal on my board
1: another similarity between you and sarah she said the same thing there you go so, it's, that's in you the same do. setting even which is kind of interesting
0: yeah well because that pedal does you know like it harmonies and stuff like you can you yeah, can do totally. all sorts of things with that and I just none of that really does it for me I just really like I have a certain setting on there that I like I think I maybe tune it to a let's see if the root note is no nah, I make it so it goes na 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 nah, whatever interval that is
1: and I have it so it goes mm-hmm. like
0: na that's my setting
1: <laughs> that sounds like a fun setting and yeah, I've yeah good. I've I've definitely I'm getting my next boss pedals are going to be a PS3 and a PS6 just cuz they keep getting brought up in this section and I'm like oh man
0: yeah it's a, one. it's a good one and you know I guess the thing about that particular pedal and maybe why there's common you know, people like that one is cause the, I don't, I don't know of a lot of other pedals that do that sound. Like I said, there was the ricochet kind of, but it th- didn't fully get all the intervals and it wasn't, it wasn't as solid and it, d- it didn't have all the features that I love about the super shifter, but you know, it got close, but yeah, that's a, that's a really good one.
1: All right. I'll, I'll accept that answer. It's a good Great. answer. Good. Thank you. All right. Last question of the podcast. And this one is where, where it gets dicey. And uh, a little bit controversial. And so, you know, careers have been made and and broken off of this question. Okay. What kind of pizza do you like?
0: Uh, What kind of pizza do I like? Um, I don't under, like, what is the deal with all the hate for the pineapple on pizza? What, like, where, where, what does that meme come from? Why is that like? Why is that a thing? I love pineapple on pizza.
1: I love Well, it. so not to be a typical Portland hipster, but I was hating pineapple before it was cool. Okay, uh,
0: nice. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I,
1: I, I, I've been a long time. Now, this is where people get it twisted, though. Lots of people, it's very divisive pizza topping, right? Like, it's about 50-50, it seems. Right. But what I'm trying to say is I just don't like pineapple. Yeah, like you're not even hating.
0: You're not hating on it being on pizza.
1: You're just hating on pineapple. Yeah, and I wish I could like it. I would always rather like things than not like them. I like to enjoy more things. Why would I want to not like it? I wish I liked pineapple. Yeah, yeah, I try it three, four times a year, and it's always just like mm, no, I still don't like it that well. My so, ideal pizza
0: toppings would be a uh, pineapple and like a green pepper kind of thing. But yeah, okay. no, I I don't I. I saw this meme pop up about like, oh, you're insane if you like pineapple and pizza. You're insane if you don't like it. And I was like, what? This is so weird. But probably, you know, maybe the best pizza is, I'm probably showing my age here, but I I remember playing Super Nintendo at like friends' houses when I'm probably, let's say nine or 10 or something, and ordering... Uh, who would it have been at that point? I'm trying to think of like the
1: OG stuffed crust, but whoever was like mm, the, the pizza, first that was Pizza Hut. I'm pretty sure Pizza
0: Hut doing like stuffed crust back in the day. Yeah, yeah, they're, probably they're the that. ones
1: who popularized it at least.
0: Yeah, and like early 90s, early 90s stuffed crust is like really good to me. And sometimes if I'm just like by myself at home watching a movie, or, or if I've got a movie queued up, I'll be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna order a stuffed crust pizza which the stuffed crust pizza is always like $7 more than whatever deal like you could get a large pizza from anywhere Papa John's or Pizza Hut or whatever which by the way Papa John's I feel like is okay to reference now because the dude Papa John himself is no longer affiliated with the company so don't don't hate on me for that but if you get a Papa John's <laughs> pizza or any pizza like the stuffed crust is going is way more than like the non-stuffed crust. But sometimes you just want to splurge on that and like get a stuffed crust pizza with pineapple and bell pepper on it. You know what I'm saying?
1: There, there is, I mean, you know, there's something about a stuffed crust pizza. It's, it's, it, I don't know if it's like super nostalgic for me. Cause I was so excited when it was introduced. I'm not sure what it is, but I'm with you. I, I, I can do the stuff, Chris. I got to pass on the pineapple. I'll pick them things off, but like a child, but uh, That's
0: okay. I'm not going <laughs> to see. I'm not going to hate on you. I'm not going to hate on anyone for not wanting pineapple on the pizza. Do you know what I mean?
1: No. Uh, and I do because it's funny to me, <laughs> but I don't, <laughs> but I don't actually, you, know, you can put whatever you want on your pizza. I don't yeah. care. I'm not eating it. It's your yeah, pizza. Exactly. It only has to work for you.
0: <laughs> that's right.
1: All right, man. Well, this has been a, a great chat. If there's anything you want to plug, tell people where they can find you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, now's a good time.
0: Uh, if you if you plug the name into Google, th- some some appropriate things come up. You know, there's an Instagram. That's my name, Nick Reinhardt. Uh, my my Twitter is bbqd brains bbqd brains. Uh. I need a website. Hey, how about this? I know what I could plug. This this is like like an an anti-plug because I don't have anything to plug. I don't have a Wikipedia page, and I don't know how to make one. And I was just talking – someone was asking me about all the records I'd played on the other day, and I was like, you know – It's really hard for me to keep track of this. And I like, I'm not trying to be all whatever about this, but I wish I had a Wikipedia page, if nothing else, just so I can have all this stuff archived, you know? So if there's any nerds out there that want to contact me through the things that I just plugged and maybe help me with the Wikipedia page, that would be cool. Just, I'd like to be able to look at a long list of all the records, you know? That'd be pretty cool.
1: I think that's that. There's a good chance there's somebody listening to this right now that can figure out Wikipedia for you. That's I a that reason. Like that's a, pretty, a reasonable request, right? Not like a, a jerky thing to be. Like, I
0: need a Wikipedia page.
1: If you just like, could just get somebody who knows a thing or two about Wikipedia to tell you how to get one. Because yeah. as much as I might know about the internet, I don't know how to make. I don't know how to make a Wikipedia page. I never never thought about it before.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know how to like. I could probably figure out how to like edit. Like if you were to go to like the world's greatest piece of pizza Wikipedia page, I would know how to edit it to write that the world's greatest piece of pizza contains pineapple. That I can probably figure <laughs> out. But to, yes, just, I think I could get there. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, yeah, that's my plugs. It just just say if you Google the name or something, it's there's probably stuff out there.
1: All right, that works for me. All right, everybody. For Nick, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck. And good tones. I gotta give that one a big Ric Flair woo. That was a weak Ric Flair woo, but I didn't want to clip the mic, so I was gentle. I know that's not what Rick would have done, but I'm not Rick. I'm not as cool as that guy. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Nick. Make sure and Google him and try to figure out this Wikipedia situation. And if you would like, a little more of this conversation with Mr. Nick Reinhardt. Guess what? We recorded more for Patreon. That's right. So if you go over to patreon.com slash tone mob, you'll see a few different levels where you can sign up and help support the show. And also, you'll get varying rewards based on where you sign up. But at $5 a month, that's where you start getting extra episodes every week. Sometimes they're extended conversations like this one. Sometimes they're more, uh, how would I say this, sonically in-depth kind of demos because it's just audio, and you really get to focus on what you're hearing. And then sometimes it's me and my good friend Justin Porter hanging out, talking gear, talking nonsense, and uh, just seeing what comes up. But this week, we got more with Nick Reinhardt. So if that's your jam, slide over to patreon.com slash tone mob, check it out. Otherwise, I get it. I'll talk to you next week. Got more good guests coming up, and I'm really excited about it. So, yeah. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Talk to you later. Bye.